Good morning. My name is Caroline Turner, and this is Tad Moore, and we serve on staff together over in the student ministry here at Fellowship. We wanted to share with you um, kind of a fun update and story, I guess, from a couple weeks ago. We got to do a service night in partnership with Samaritan Community Center, packing snack packs. If you're not familiar with snack packs, um, their goal with that is to provide food over the weekend for families that may be experiencing food insecurity. And so we gathered with a lot of our students out here in the parking lot, and we had these assembly lines going and had a lot of fun. And in true FSM style, the whole night kind of culminated in a fun dance party. And so, but we had a blast and wanted to say thank you to many of you who helped donate so that we could do that event. Um, and so it, Samaritan is a great ministry to partner with. And so you can look up, I would highly recommend look them up online and see if there's ways to donate to what they're doing, especially when it comes to snack packs to help feed students in Northwest Arkansas. And we've got a couple events coming up in FSM that we just wanted to let you guys know about. First, we have our Barn Bash Woo. for 7th and 8th graders. This is our first time doing it, but we're teaming up with the FSM Rogers campus. So your 7th and 8th graders, if you have them, will be uh, getting to hang out and spend time with Springdale Rogers and Benville students up at the Rogers campus. It's on October 13th during their normal cell group time from 6 to 8.30. And we're going to be providing food for all of the cell groups. And so drop off your students hungry. Um, and then our other announcement is that on November 28th, we're going to be having a worship night for families teaming up with other churches. To kind of kick off the Advent Christmas season together. So. Yes, and time TBD, but it will be in the evening. Uh, and then last thing, we're going to be doing a training that we would love to invite you parents to. Uh, if you have any students birth to 18, um, we've just seen a huge um, increase in need for um, how to engage students with mental health and, and how to talk to them and help them process through their emotions well. And so we're gonna have two licensed counselors come and we're gonna meet over in the student center uh, on October, let's see the time, here we go, 19th. Uh, and so we're gonna meet over there and we're really excited just to, to help learn some practical ways that we can better talk to students as they're processing through their emotions and, and when and if they need to see counseling. And so uh, you can sign up for that by following this QR code. Uh, we're gonna have childcare available so you can come with the whole family. Uh, we're really looking forward to this and hope it'll be, hopefully it'll be a great service to your family uh, as we try to love our students better. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna dive into worship with one another. We're really glad that you're here. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, all the ways that you love us. Thank you that you've displayed your love for us in the person of Jesus and that when we look at his life, and the way that he lived and cared for people, we get a perfect picture of your love for us, God. And so as we gather in this place, as people that claim to, to follow Jesus, would we uh, just be captivated by your beauty, God? And as we spend time singing these songs, would our, move our emotions and our hearts and stir our affections for you uh, the way that you love us? Uh, would we in turn then love others the way that you've loved us first? So we thank you for this time, and would you teach us from your word this morning? And uh, just with this time together as a family of believers, be a real blessing for all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Tad. Thanks, Caroline. Um, if you have kids that are a part of FSM, then you know how much of a blessing that ministry is uh, for your own personal family, but also for your kids. And if you don't, if you're in this room and you have kids that always come and, and sit with you in this service, we obviously always welcome that. But we have a team that you just saw that, they, they are passionate about helping students walk with Jesus in a really hard time of your life. I don't, I don't know if you remember seventh grade or maybe your first day in high school, but that can be a pretty intimidating moment. 
And there's all kinds of messages that you can receive walking into a new place. And they are there with other leaders that are just wanting to invest in those students and help them believe things that are true about uh, who they actually are in Christ. And so can we just give the FSM team a thank you? They do an incredible job week in and week out. I'm so thankful for them. Well, hey, this morning as, as, as we turn to sing, I wanna point our attention to, um, for me and my story personally, one of my favorite passages, and it's Psalm 139. When I think about my story, I think about uh, a lot of different struggles, but one of my main struggles is believing um, that my value comes from who God says I am rather than value that I think other people will place on me. So for example, I'll walk into a room and I'll immediately have a conversation with somebody and I'll leave and go, man, I wonder what kind of impression I left on them. That's a small way to place your value in that person's eyes. And that can be taken in so many different extremes which leads to um, chains really, dependent on other people rather than dependent on Christ, which leads to freedom because his opinion of you doesn't change because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And so I wanna read this over us this morning and here's my invitation. You can, you can stop proving your value this morning and you can receive it from God this morning and let that be what flows as we sing. So hear these words from Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written the days that were formed for me, yet as when there were none of them. Oh, how precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And Lord, this morning, would you lead me in the way everlasting. So Father, as we sing to you this morning, God, would you help us to believe that, that our value is fixed at the cross, the cross of Christ. Would you stand with us this morning and let's sing this together. He has ransomed me. 
declare this this morning. Let's believe it. I'm chosen. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Deep. 
thank you for the goodness and grace of your son, uh, the life we have because of his resurrection. Uh, Thank you for his death on the cross that we could be made right with you and that we could have our sins forgiven. Um, It's in those truths and our identity in you uh, that make us together this morning as a church family. Uh, God, would you give us the grace this morning to uh, listen to your word, understand it, and know how to rightly apply it. We trust you with the results in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get started this morning, uh, the, the offering's going to be um, being passed, and, um, and we also have uh, someone that's experiencing uh, a, a health crisis right now, and so I wanted to uh, have everybody bow their head. I want to pray specifically for them um, as we begin our time and our teaching this morning. Father God, um, I don't know who this is, the name of this person. God, I pray that your grace would overwhelm them and that you would make them whole in this moment. Uh, God, I pray that um, whatever's going on in this space at this time right now, that you would be king over that moment. God, I pray that you would um, continue to help us all trust in you for uh, what is life and what we're not in control of. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being the church family this morning. Excited to be with you this morning. My name is Clark. Um, if you're new with us, um, you found us in the middle of our First Timothy series. And so we're in our fourth, or our fourth teaching um, in that series this morning. And uh, we're excited. This gives us an opportunity to do some Bible study together and to understand context and to dive into a, a very interesting passage together this morning. My apologies right out of the gate. I study in the, in a, in the ESV, and I use the NAS sometimes in terms of the versions that I use um, in the Bible, and you have in your First Timothy guidebook um, the NIV. Um, and so as we read the text this morning, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. It's very similar, but I just wanted to note that um, difference this morning. As we uh, read God's Word, I'd like you to stand in honor of that as we look at our text this morning. Go ahead and stand with me as we read God's holy Word. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands and without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. This is God's word. You may be seated. You know, Dave, as you were sharing this morning a little bit about your struggle with identity, um, I was reminded of that even this week. (laughs) I thought to myself on many occasions this week, I've got no business teaching this passage. In fact, Gary... I'm out. I'd like you to go ahead and come up. Yeah. Uh, But no, I'm excited because this is an opportunity for us as a church family to understand 
um, good biblical counsel on how church works and what happens when we gather as a family of faith and what God's good word is for us and his purpose to protect us even from ourselves. And so excited about our time together in the scriptures. And we're gonna jump right in. And so as we look at the, the text today, we see four uh, major imperatives or exhortations, if you will. Um, the men should pray. The women should dress themselves respectfully. Women should learn. And mothers should continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And so those are the four big ideas we're going to kind of walk through, and I've connected them to four different character qualities. You see, in the context of what's going on in 1 Timothy, Timothy's trying to protect this young infant church from false teaching, and he does that with right teaching and with good godly character as he builds that in the church. He notes these character qualities connected to these imperatives, holy, respectable, modest, self-control, godly, good works, submissive, quiet, faith, love, and holiness. A healthy church fights for godly character. It's, it's the, the big idea of our series. We're fighting as a church in a dark culture, just like Ephesus, we're fighting for godliness. And with each imperative, there's this heart or this character quality, this motivation behind it this morning. And I'm going to use these four summary ideas to walk us through our passage today. When we gather for church in this place, when you gather for what we call small church in your home, in community group, uh, these are the four ideas. Men, be holy. Women, be modest. Women, be teachable. Mothers, be faithful. And just in case, be it a man or a woman this morning, and you feel like you're being singled out, he actually comes at those who are wealthy here in a little bit um, later on in our uh, time in First Timothy. He comes at widows and talks about the character of widows, the type of widow um, that you're supposed to be if the church is going to rally around you. He gives us qualifications for deacons, for elders. And so he's addressing a very specific group of people in a situation here in Ephesus in this church. And this is what I'm excited about. Because as a family of faith, as we try to, as followers of Jesus, try to figure out what does his word say and how do we apply it today, we have an opportunity, and it's called context. Um, if you're going to understand any challenging or difficult passage, you have to understand context. It matters, and we have that opportunity today. Um, first, we've got to understand what is the biblical context to any passage. We've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And we approach this, the whole room, okay, be it man or woman, uh, be it child, be it an elderly person in this room, we all come in here on equal ground under, not over, the Word of God telling us what we think it should say, okay? So it, there's a humble posture that we come to because God has spoken. We also, as we let Scripture interpret Scripture, we understand that when we come to this passage specifically today, we know that Genesis 1 is in place, is that men and women were created in the image of God. We also know that Galatians 3 is in place, is that we're made one in Christ, both male and female, Genesis 3, 27 and 28. And so the greater biblical context provides um, a bigger context for our passage 
this morning. These two truths in God's image and in Christ, they inform our personhood. Uh, They inform our value and our worth. And so any idea out of the gate of gender, superiority, or inferiority is put to rest because of the greater uh, biblical text. Uh, These truths, I think, do help us understand how we treat one another, how we protect one another in the church. When we come to the biblical text context, we also consider genre. Some of the Bible is written in narrative form. It's telling a story. Some of the Bible is prophetic or apocalyptic. Some of it is poetic or prophetic. Uh, Some of the Bible is written in didactic teaching. And we have a letter from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy, instructing him, giving him specific instructions on how to do church as a pastor here in Ephesus. And so genre matters. It also matters the language. We take the original text, the grammar, the words that are used, the cynic structure in the light of the paragraph. We have to understand the Bible in its whole. We also must understand this idea of the author's intent. Why did Paul write this? You see, each biblical writer had a reason for writing. The gospels are like that. Each gospel writer had a certain angle that they were using uh, to communicate the good news of Jesus and his kingship. And it can be difficult because in letters like this, we often seem to be only hearing one end of the phone conversation. If you've ever uh, been in an awkward situation like that, you're like, what's going on there? What are they saying on the other end? And we don't know uh, necessarily in this context the previous conversations that Timothy and Paul had had in their correspondence. We just know this letter from Paul to Timothy. It could be that Timothy was saying, hey, Paul, I I don't know why you left me in Ephesus, but here's six things that are happening, and I don't know what to do as a young pastor. This is crazy town in Ephesus, and these women and these young men are three months old in the Lord. I'm not sure how to pastor this situation. And so we get, we get some clues here on maybe what they had been talking about. We get to hear the other side of the phone conversation as Paul deals with specific pastoral concerns. We also consider this idea of descriptive or descriptive or prescriptive teaching. Sometimes in the scriptures, it's just describing what's going on, the story that's happening. Other times, the author is prescribing or giving clear direction, this is how something should be done in all times, in all places. I actually think today we get a little bit of both. He's describing something going on specifically in a place called Ephesus, but he's also prescribing something that's good for all times, in all places. And then it's important that we understand the cultural context of a passage. God spoke his word, and this is what I love about the scriptures. He spoke it in the grit, in the realness of what life is, a particular historic and cultural setting. The Old Testament, they were coming out of an ancient Near Eastern perspective. Here you have followers coming out of the practice of Judaism in a Greco-Roman world. They were young believers, baby Christians. Many of them had converted and been pulled out of this thing called the Artemis cult. It was a hyper-sexualized culture. Economic vibrance, magic, sorcery were practiced in this city. It was multi-ethnic. This church had a diverse socioeconomic experience going on. There was a diverse, there were diverse educational backgrounds as part of this young church. And then we've got to consider in light of that, 
If you were the audience and you were gathered in someone's atrium, much like some of your community groups, and you heard this letter being written and Timothy was passing on these instructions to you in your culture, what what would you have heard? How would you have interpreted what was being said? And I think it's fair to at least admit in this room that we all come with different cultural biases or personal biases based on our own story. And some of these biases are rooted in how we grew up. Some of them are rooted in how we were treated in the churches that even that, that we grew up in. And even though our story is part of what God is doing in us, I think it's an important and it's instructive that even our own story kneels to the scriptures. And our story is not authoritative in the way that the scriptures are. The scriptures serve as our filter, and so we bend a knee to the scriptures in our own flawed humanity, the pain and the abuse that maybe we've even come from. We have to be careful that we don't put that on top of a passage like this. We kneel underneath the scriptures. And so in light of the context in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is part of what's going on, and we looked at this in week one. Michael did a great job setting us up. He encouraged Timothy, remain at Ephesus, and he tells him why. So that you so that you would teach certain persons not to teach any different doctrine right out of the gate. The reason he wrote this letter is to protect this church from false teaching, and I think it colors the way we interpret our passage today. And then he says the motive behind this charge, Timothy, is out of love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And I sure hope in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God, that y'all know that's my motive today too, that I love you. You're part of, this is my home church, and Pam and I and my family, we get to worship and be a part of life with you here in Fayetteville, and just know that that's my heart, is out of love for you this morning. At least 15 different words in this letter are used to describe the danger and just the, the weird things that come from false teaching finding their way into the church, and I feel like Paul's protecting us here this morning as he's trying to protect Timothy. We also see in chapter three, um, verse 14 and 15, Paul says this, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you would know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Another reason why we have to let the context determine where we're going, even with our passage today. He's instructing Timothy how he should behave as a mature young man in the faith and leading and pastoring this church, but also as he's instructing Timothy on how others who are gonna lead in this church are supposed to behave in the context of the gathered assembly. And so we have that as our context. And when we consider biblical roles in the church, it's healthy to remember as well that what we're talking about here this morning is the church, okay? God has specific roles for men and women in the context of the local church. He also has specific roles that he outlines for moms and dads and husbands and wives inside the home. The Bible is not explicit on what those roles are in government and in the marketplace. Okay, You have to use just good judgment and wisdom as you take the scriptures and figure out what that means in this. I'm not speaking to those places this morning. This is a family discussion. As a follower of Jesus, we're talking about how we treat one another and we grow together inside the family of faith. 
like I said, most likely as they were reading this letter or being instructed by Timothy, they were gathered in someone's atrium of a home, maybe 25 to 30 at the most, in someone's living room. And as they tried to process this out loud, um, they were having a difficult time trying to figure out that one. What does he mean by that? How do we apply that? And so we're going to jump right in. And I know Mickey looked at verse, I know in your text, uh, you have, it starts with verse 9. Mickey ended with verse 8. I want to revisit that just pastorally for just a few minutes in verse 8. And I've got just some, uh, some things I'd like to say to the men in the room. And there's a pattern in all these verses. You see a biblical imperative, you see a cultural expression, and you see a boundary given to protect this young church. And here we have the command to pray. And pray in a way, and he uses an ancient um, kind of form of prayer where you would lift your hands, but the heart behind it is to pray with holy hands. Holy simply means set apart for noble use. Men, when you come in here on church this morning, when you show up to experience church in the form of community group, men, show up prayerful with holy hands, with clean hands. I think he's focused here on the, the posture of the heart, hands that are set aside for noble use. Interesting the way he defines what holy is in this context is a contrast. They're not arguing or one who produces quarrels. I think it's, it's very instructive here. Men, and so this is my, my personal word for you men this morning. I'm speaking to myself here. Hey, are you coming here on Sunday mornings with a quarrelsome spirit? Are you walking in bitterness because of some things that have happened this week? Or maybe even consider the last year to 18 months. Have you engaged personally in quarrelsome arguments that are important but not essential to the advancement of the gospel and the Great Commission in this place. And if you've come into this place with that spirit, you're coming in here without holy hands. So I would like to ask the men right out of the gate to repent from that and to walk away from the spirit of dissension that isn't centered around the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus and his great commission. Doesn't mean you can't have back and forth, but don't bring that argumentative, quarrelsome, divisive spirit into this place and cause you to miss out on the joy that God has intended for you by being in this place on Sunday mornings together. So be holy, repent from that type of spirit, that kind of behavior. Likewise, verse 9. Also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. And we turn our attention here to Paul's admonition for the women in the room this morning. When we come into this gathered assembly together to worship, we've got an imperative to dress respectfully. Modesty is the biblical principle here. It simply means with sobriety, with good judgment, being clear-headed in how you prepare yourself to come in here on Sunday mornings. Some commentators use the word sensible. He gives examples, examples here in contrast. These are not exhaustive on how to avoid being a distraction 
as we gather for church this morning. Don't wear things that bring attention to yourselves. Avoid flaunting your outward appearance, especially if it's rooted in you trying to promote how wealthy you are, especially if you consider the young church that has gathered here and some coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, the distraction of those who had to promote themselves with those who didn't have, gathered in a room together, you can see part of what his heart is here behind this command. Uh, For sure, steer away from being sexually suggestive when you come into this room. It could be that braided hair in his day means something different than it does in our day, but he was giving him real-life examples on, hey, this is the, the way you practice this principle of modesty. He uses self-control here multiple times in our passage today. He actually uses this word self-control 10 times in the pastoral epistles um, as you look at 2 Timothy and also Titus. And that word has the idea of this. And this is, I think it captures the idea really fantastic. Self-restraint for the greater good. Self-restraint for the greater good. I think he has that in mind when he's talking about modesty here. Ladies, put on when you come to church in the mornings. When you show up to community group, ladies, put on your good character. Let your good works of service on behalf of others be what people think about when they think of you, not your outward appearance. And then our third imperative here, verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. What could be happening here that would cause Paul to address this um, specific imperative here? And uh, We don't know for sure, but we do know that false doctrine, false teaching, based on the first chapter, was one of the greatest, if not the greatest threat to this young infant church and to many of the churches all around the Roman world as the gospel was reproduced. And if you consider what young converted Jewish women were coming out of, they didn't have skilled training or access or education in the Torah or the old law, and especially what it meant to take the old law and take the writings of the New Testament and then communicate those things in a Greco-Roman space. The difficulty, the, the rhetorical skill, the literary skill that it would have taken to be able to uh, walk through with nuance how to apply this in their world, I think was pretty challenging. And so if you also consider some of the, uh, the new converts that may have come, uh, some of the women that may have come out of the Artemis cult worship experience um, and their access to education and training and know how to apply and communicate the truths of Scripture. It could be that some of that's going on in the background as well, and it seems like God's good plan is high-character men walking in service, using their gift as elders to teach clearly the Word of God. It's part of his answer to protect this young church. And so as we understand the imperative in this passage, a woman in the Word is to learn, it literally means to receive instruction. Uh, This actually would have been countercultural a little bit, and it reminded me of the scene in the Gospels where Mary is sitting under the teaching of the rabbi Jesus, if you will. Martha's busy working, and he commends her because she's chosen the good thing. 
Paul, in his day, and Timothy, as he's pastoring this church, women have actually now been brought into the community of faith, not out in the courtyard for women at the temple. They've been brought in and thus, in some ways, elevated into the family of faith, and now the Jewish women can receive instruction. And so that's an encouraging thing that I think Paul's trying to do. He's trying to give them opportunity to hear the word of God taught every bit as much as men. He's elevating their status in that sense. But we also have a boundary here. We have a boundary in place. And he uses the words quiet and submissive. And I think he's contrasting that with teaching and exercising authority over a man. The word here for quiet, it can mean absolute silence, or it can mean quiet demeanor, the idea of being settled down or not unruly. In some cases, the spirit should express itself in absolute silence. In other cases, it seems like there is some speech that happens in the gathered assembly um, in other New Testament passages that women participate in, but not in an authoritative teaching type of way. Paul wanted the, the women to express deference to the teacher or leader here in this environment. And submissive ear, it means what you probably think it means. It implies order. It involves voluntarily, ladies, placing yourself under the care and the authority of qualified men who can teach the scriptures. And while difficult, I think for us, you know, in our culture, it, we come right out of the gate. It's part of what our country's built on, right? Don't tell me what I can and can't do, be it man or woman. It, it's part of the, the, our ethic of our nation. Don't tell me what I can or can't do. I think they would have understood, oh, well, that, that makes sense, Paul. I you're trying to protect the church. Uh, man, we're all kind of new in our faith. Man, these men seem to, they're humble. They've got good character. Well, they sure understand the Torah and the law and how Jesus is the manifestation of that, and we're trying to figure out how to follow him in this hypersexualized culture. This is confusing. I, I think they would have understood uh, what he's instructing here, that he's got their good care in mind for them. So what is he not permitting? And we'd say there are two different things happening here. You have teaching, and then you have authority over a man. We believe they describe one function or role here. At fellowship, our elders would say that Paul is prohibiting the type of authoritative teaching that male overseers are supposed to exercise, especially when we're gathered in a combined community of faith with both adult men and women. And I think the heart here seems to be more responsibility about shepherding than men being in control or having power. And this is instructive in that in the New Testament, when, the, when authority is talked about, especially by Jesus, he doesn't speak of it the way the world sees it. You see, authority in the New Testament is granted by a sovereign God in different times and places. It's always granted by God. It's always a, assumed or embraced by the person in charge through service, through sacrifice, and through death. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of the suffering Servant, if you're gonna have authority, it's not about power, control, manipulation, abuse. It's about dying to yourself for the benefit of the greater good. And so we're gonna actually see that next week as we look at the qualification of male elders 
in our church. But the Greek word for authority here, it's the only time that Paul uses it here in the New Testament. It can mean to assume independent authority, to give orders to, to take over. And there are some in the faith that believe that's what he's talking about here. Others take it in the normal positive sense that when you take this word authority and it's combined with teaching, you just understand teaching and authority in their normal sense. And that's what we would say here. When these are used in their normal sense, it's what Paul has in view here, the authoritative teaching of the local church and the gathered assembly. And so he's not permitting women to teach in that capacity. And so fellowship's official view on this is that pastoral leadership and the teaching of the whole church is the responsibility of qualified men. And next week, we're actually going to find out not just any man. It's very restrictive on the type of man or the type of elder that can have this kind of authority to release men in the church and exercise authority over both men and women. These kind of men would not be passive men, and they would not be men that would abuse their authority in this room. Now, to be fair, and I'll just be honest here, is I know a lot of our our seasoned women in the faith in this church, and you're awesome. And your ability to teach the scriptures, to interpret the text, some of you are way better at that than me. And it's very humbling in that moment to to be able to to admit that. And yet you are. You actually have the gift of teaching. But in our text today, it's actually not about competence. It's about context and what Paul has in terms of uh, trying to shepherd this young church. And so I applaud you for your gift. And we have a lot of ways that women can exercise that gift here in our church. And then he gives us the reason. Well, why does he not permit a woman to teach or exercise this kind of authority? And he goes back to the creative order before the fall that Adam was formed first, then Eve, and then he looks at 14, and he looks post-fall, fallen humanity, as the creative order was reversed in its function, if you will. And Eve stepped, Adam in some ways abdicated his authority, and Eve stepped in, and she was, Deceived, And I think that's why Paul's leaning into this idea. It's rooted in God's divine order. But it also recognizes human brokenness and sin. And so what we have here is we've got a timeless principle applied in a timely way in Ephesus. And I think because he leans into that creative space and Adam being created first, he's speaking to something that's still in place today yet applied in different situations like it was in Ephesus, if you will. It's both descriptive about what's going on in Ephesus, but it's all prescriptive for all times and all places in all churches, even though more than ever today, women have access to good theological training and study. And I don't believe Paul here is implying that women are necessarily more gullible. Some have taken this text to mean that. To deception. I've actually seen in 30 years of trying to do pastoral ministry, both men and women incredibly deceived and pulled in by the schemes of the enemy. Um, and uh, just a challenge to the men in here, especially the dads. Um, I've probably seen more 
men be deceived by not protecting their home with the word of God, then I have women in my time of pastoring. And so a challenge to you men to protect your home with the very words of God. And so this passage, I think, is a great reminder for God's great care for us as a spiritual family. So verse 15 gets even more interesting. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing. Is he speaking of here? Childbearing, we know for sure, if you consider, again, the greater biblical context, does not grant a woman salvation. We also know that not all women had the grace of bearing children, and we know that Christian women have actually died giving birth to children. There's a couple of views on this. I'm just going to share a few of them. Uh, One view is that uh, despite the sin of Eve and the results to those that would come from her generationally, that she would actually be saved through the childbirth, the the birth of the Messiah. Okay, and so that's one uh, view on this. And it's promised and it's rooted in that idea of Genesis 315, where we call the proto-evangelium, um, this prophesied one who would save us. Um, another view is that this deliverance, the word that's used here, saved, it's, it's the word so-so, and you determine what it means in its original language by the context of the verse around it. Some commentators have used the phrase preserved or delivered. This deliverance, one view, is it's, just, it's a deliverance from the devastating effects of the fall and the role reversal that took place in Eden. I tend to side with this next view because I've studied this. In Doug Moo, um, uh, interpreter and commentator, he says it like this. He believes that it's uh, pointing out in the greater context that we talk about roles to the faithfulness of a woman, specifically a mother in this situation, uh, to play and engage in her proper role as exemplified in motherhood. And that it's not just the child-bearing event, but it includes the whole experience of child-rearing and all that is the motherhood activities that come with that. And so I tend to think that he's speaking of that role here, especially given the encouragement to continue in faithfulness. It feels like Paul, he's talked about the role of men inside the church to lead through authoritative teaching under the authority of elders It feels like he's leaning into and exalting and bringing value and attention to the role of a woman in the home that God has entrusted children to, to be faithful in her role to teach them the very words of God in that space. He's not diminishing the role. He's not saying that each these roles are more important one than the other, but he's bringing attention to that in our greater Context. It doesn't mean that women don't exercise their gifts in the church or they don't have roles in society of leadership. But as God has entrusted you with the next generation, be faithful in that role. And he actually uses the word continue in the faith, in love, in holiness, and then the word self-control again. Giving up, using restraint for the greater good. So it seems to be uh, an encouragement for a, a woman who is a mother to be faithful. And so we see here uh, that a healthy church fights for godly character. A healthy church um, has men who come in here with holy hands. We've got women who come in here with modest, teachable hearts 
And we have mothers who are encouraged to be faithful in their role. And when the church treats one another, respects one another with these things in place, we have the opportunity to be a healthy church and avoid false teaching and in turn living falsely out the gospel as we relate to one another. Well, there are people, and I would recognize this this morning, um, there are other church traditions unique than fellowship, other than fellowship, that have different views here, okay? And so I think it's imperative on us to be a church that walks in the fruit of the Spirit with how we interact with one another when unpacking some of these concepts. And you can hold firm and true to what you believe this text says about leadership in the church, but you can also do it in a way that honors Christ and in a way that's respectful to both genders. Um, I wanted to give you just a few resources because we've got 30 minutes together to walk through this. It's a much bigger discussion, and we'll see some more of this play out in our time in 1 Timothy. But our Sermon Notes podcast, Michael and I spent about 15 minutes together this past week unpacking this a little more. Um, You saw on the slide previously, there's some other uh, verse uh, passages that you can look at for further study. You have some of that in your guide in 1 Timothy. And then I think Nick Rowland and Garland Autry on their Out of Curiosity podcast, there were four specific episodes where they walked through the value of women in the Old and the New Testament and the role they play in the community of faith. They actually unpack some of the different views of women, the egalitarian position of of women in leadership in the church, the complementarian position, the traditional um, position of women in leadership in the church. They do a really good job, probably about two and a half hours of really good content, content walking through the different views there. And so I would encourage you for further study to lean into that space. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, again, um, we pray for the family um, that is working through um, this illness, um, this event here this morning in our church, and I want to pray that you'd be gracious. Father, thank you for your good word, for its instructive nature. Thanks for taking care of us and for protecting us from ourselves. Be it man or woman in here this morning, God, I pray that we would uh, be humble as we approach your word. We'd be gracious in how we interact with one one another. God, I pray that you would grant our current elders who provide authority for us in teaching the good news of the gospel and the New Testament principles. God, I pray that you would give us humble, qualified men. God, I pray that you would help each person in here to find their place of service and their role that you have for them in this place. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would y'all stand with us as we sing this song together? Let's ask him to be our vision.
chapter 1 this is what it says now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory majesty power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore amen church we keep our eyes on our Lord this week if you would like prayer to my left, to your right, we would love to pray with you this morning. Go in peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week.